But tied to that is saved from judgment. Saved from condemnation. Go back to Romans 8.1. There is no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment that will come against those in reference to hell. In those, there's no condemnation. There's no that, that kind of a judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no hell for those who are in Christ Jesus. For those not in Christ Jesus. There is condemnation. There is judgment. There is hell. The very opposite. John explains in the third chapter, and uh, Levi read that as the reading this morning, and I just want to pick up at uh, verse uh, 17. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now listen to this carefully. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Going back to Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation and those who are in Christ Jesus. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. The judgment day is just the final seal. As long as you stand outside of Christ, outside of the such, you're already condemned. Because he goes, and almost every culture goes through seasons of that. We keep lowering moral standards. So that we're more comfortable, pretty much, and uh, is that no matter how low it goes, when you ask someone to, to, to take the lowest bar that's out there and then ask them, have they ever violated it, almost, uh, I've, I, I haven't yet, I'll just tell you, I've yet to have someone say, well, well no, I've, I've blown it. And say, well, even with that low bar, you still need a savior then. Our propensity for sin is greater almost than any standard we can come up with. Even in prison, they have standards that it, it surprises you, but they have some. You know? So you look at this, and, and I think I've shared this with you before, just to see the decline of, of that within the framework of our own culture. And Romans 1 and 2 speak to this as well as we went through that. My grandfather born in 1880, raised in a Christian home, a professing Christian himself, went to college, and even in college, you know, generally speaking, you've got to figure he graduated from Berkeley in 1898. And so uh, they, they uh, weren't nearly the liberal college. You say Berkeley today, and all sorts of ideas of liberality move into your head, and should, but but... That wasn't the case then. It was shortly after that it started moving that direction. And he taught for the rest of his life in a, in a school district in Lompoc, California. A good, solid Christian man. He had a very solid base in reference to his values and his, uh, for marriage, his values for raising his children, his values for teaching in the classroom, all of them, very solid Christian base. My grandmother... Orphaned at five, raised by her uh, aunt and uncle, missionaries, and uh, 
became a Christian herself and, and raised in a Christian home, um, married my grandfather, shared his Christian values in marriage and raising children and, and, and a good work ethic. She was a nurse. And so my dad, my uncles were raised in that environment. Very interesting thing though, in the late 30s, they go off to college. At this point now, all of a sudden, colleges aren't the same place they were in the 1890s. My dad, right up into high school, he was a junior deacon. Yeah, he was active in the church in the sense of a kid. He went to, to church with his parents. And, but he learned in college that the values were changing. There was a whole new way to look at things in the world. He had his eyes open when he left that little town of Lompoc, California. And he accepted a different set of standards. Well, I can't say a different set of standards. He, 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 he wanted to keep all of my grandfather's basic values. It's wrong to murder. It's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to lie and cheat and steal and these kinds of things. But he didn't want anything to do with Christ. In fact, he had come to the conclusion that if there was a heaven, everybody would be saved. A God who professes to be the God of love certainly wouldn't put anybody in hell. Now, he has kids. And the interesting thing is, I'm that typical kid of the 60s and 70s. My dad says, this is the rules. Why? Give me a good reason. Just are. This is the way man treats man. Why? Give me a good reason. You see, he didn't have the foundation. When his, grand, when his dad said these were the rules, he came from this foundation of Christ. He says, because I know what is true, and it's true all the time. My dad couldn't say that. My dad could only say, there's a lot of different truth. He was much like Pilate would have said, and said, what is truth? There's truth here, truth there, truth there, all over. And he said, every man goes his own way, so be it. And it's just fine. So for me, my dad's values meant nothing. And so I'm a step further away from my grandfather's values than my dad. Now I'm raising my kids. Thank God they even intervened before she was past 18 months old, my first child. But I was further removed in the idea of, of morals and standards. Not only did I, I feel my dad, what my dad thought was okay, but don't ask, don't tell behind curtains, I thought should be public and perfectly okay anywhere. And it's still very much the case of what we're seeing today, even more so, as we see the gender issues especially. Can you see the decline? Each generation is further removed, and so when we, and the next generation says why, we have less of an answer. I'm going to suggest to you that we have the truth. Not like I suggest you, I'm just going to tell you. We have the truth. We have it. 
Okay, and the reality is, is that there's, there are two destinations that man is going to go. The man has an eternal soul. And it's going to go one of two directions, heaven or hell, period. And the only way to heaven is to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and to agree with the declaration of God raised him from the dead. And all that that implies, which was last week's message. So we're saved from hell, and so I thought I would look really quickly here at, at, at what you know, this harsh reality is, is that, that we have to deal with. Mark 8 says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And that didn't come to hit me, really, until I was 26 years old. It didn't hit me fully there, at, even at that point. But as I confessed Christ and began to understand more of it, I realized my, eternity is, is, is the, the ticket, the key, the, the, the emphasis of, of the desire of my heart, the, the, the coming of the Lord. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. Why? To complete all of your planning, to receive the glory that's due your name. Not just to get out of the, con the, 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 the tough situations that we're in, not to get out of, 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 a, of, a, of a, a season of time of, of decline. Those have happened over and over and over again in history. The reason we should be declaring Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, is that he will see the glory that's due his name. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. We will be praising and worshiping him and he will set that new heaven and new earth into effect. We should be praying for all of that to come. And Paul says that's a good thing to pray for. But while we wait, while we tarry, while he tarries, we have a mission. And that's to expose our lives in Christ to people around us. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and, 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 and lose his soul? For me, there's a great picture of how to kind of, for me to look at it. Uh, probably very familiar with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul talks about our bodies being a tent. And it's just a temporary dwelling place. And he says, as believers, we long for our permanent dwelling place which is fixed. It's not a tent. It's a fixed thing. It will never decay. It will never perish. You know how tents are. You know? Today's modern tents, generally speaking, you, know, you lose a part, you throw it away, and you just go out and buy a new one. But the old canvas ones, we had to go buy the special pre-shrunk patches so that, you know, and sew them up and stitch them and stuff. And eventually, one day, you went and you put that indoor internal umbrella up and, whoop, and the top went off and you said, okay, I guess it's done. You know, as, as dusty canvas floated around your head. And, and you, you figured there's just no more. You remember touching the tops of them even after they've been treated again? Oh, drip, drip, drip. You know, uh, and Paul was a tent maker. And tents ran their course. Could only be fixed so many times. And then it was no longer useful. That's what he equated our bodies with. What is it that this tent does? It houses what? Our soul, it houses who we are. 
And while this physical body is not eternal, <laughs> and we say thank you, my soul is. And you know, I realized how much time, and I've thought about this more than once, how much time, effort, resources, money, I have spent over the last just 25 years at keeping this body going. It's no small chunk of money. It's approaching $600,000. I'm one of the few people who has reaped well from the insurance company. Amen, yeah. <laughs> Get them, brother. Get them again Wednesday. Uh. That's a lot of money. I thought about the cars, paid off house. <laughs> of course, then I might not, I wouldn't be here to enjoy them, so you know, I, you know, kind of a moot point. But the real reality was is that I can do all that I can to try and salvage what is here, but ultimately it's going to what? Fail. And what is eternal in me is the more important thing. How much do I invest in it in comparison? I don't want to go there. Sorry, I just that's, that's almost the end of the message for you. Um, because none of us can stand there and, and say we've done all we can. And so this idea of, of, of gaining the world and, and losing your soul, I, I'm past that point of losing my soul, but have I, have I focused enough and am I uh, emphasis enough in my life it personally between me and God and the way I feel and the things that I do and the things I think and say that re respond to a God who's given me eternity? As I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and that God has raised him from the dead, say it from my heart. This place, hell, is described a, a few places in Scripture, and it is obviously a physical place. Uh, uh, it's a place, uh, Mark says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. That's sufficient for me. I don't know about you, but, but I know what he's equating that to. He's actually taking a, a, a kind of a picture from something outside the walls of Jerusalem. Gehenna. The dump. The refuse place where all the garbage of the city is taken and burned. And I don't know how many of you can recall the dumps when they used to burn them. But I can remember that. And sometimes there was, you know, they, they'll burn and then they'll put dirt and then they'll burn and then they'll put dirt and, you know, and they kept packing it and stuff like that. Occasionally, while the tractor's out in the middle of this thing, fire would shoot up around the, the cat that was operating out there because the fire is smoldering underneath, hotter than the flames itself, and creating gas, sulfurish smell and, and stink. And so, and, and underneath the very, where things are finally decaying and, and things, worms are going, you know? And, and so that's what he was referring to, a place where the fire never goes really out because we just keep heaping more onto it. 
and it smolders hotter than flame itself. And it is uh, almost molten at times. And, and that, it's, that it, 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 the worms never die once they get into that area where it's finally composting and, 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 and settling. Matthew chapter 8 and 12, 25, Jude verse 7, uh, all of them speak of it as a place of darkness. Luke chapter 16, to me, is the, one of the, the clearest pictures. 16 verses, starting with verse 19, where the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You know, Jesus takes a real place, and whether Lazarus and the rich man were, were literally real or not in, far, in the framework of the, the, the parable, the places Jesus used real things to make his parables understandable. And he says there's, there was a death that occurred. Two deaths that occurred on the same night. The rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus was the poor man left outside the rich man's gate to be fed the scraps from the table. We know most of us know the story. And it says the angels ushered <laughs> Lazarus, the poor, suffering man full of, of sores and, and pain, ushered him to the bosom of Abraham, into the presence of of Abraham, and to the idea of bosom of Abraham sounds, it's the idea of, of, of closeness. He could see him, touch him, and rest with him. And he recognized him. Very real. Oh, and by the way, when the rich man died, he went to hell. And that's pretty much the matter of fact way it puts it. The, the, Lazarus is ushered with, by, with carried by angels into the presence of, of Abraham in heaven, and, and the rich man went to hell. But the rich man can see. He says, oh, my. This is a very uncomfortable place I'm at. I'm very thirsty because it's hot here. Hey, Abraham, could you send Lazarus over here? a little bit of water. By the way, what does that tell you? He knew Lazarus. He recognized him. I don't think it was supernatural knows him now. I think it's because he could recognize him. That means he knew him when he was a suffering person outside his gate. Abraham said, there's no way across the gulf that's between us. You can't get over here. We can't get over there. It's a permanent separation. There is no exit for you. Man's given once the opportunity to live his life, and then comes his death, and his death is sealed by what he did or did not confess. His judgment is sealed by what he did or did not confess in this lifetime. And he says, rich man, there is no hope for you. He says, well, if there's no hope for me, at least tell my brothers. Send someone to tell my brothers. Abraham made a very stark statement. He said, even if somebody were to rise from the dead, they wouldn't, be they wouldn't believe. In other words, he's saying your brothers are, are just as hard-hearted as you are. I think the key here is the gulf that separates us. Hang on to that for a moment. Pretty graphic other pictures are in there. 
Matthew chapter 8 talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth. Darkness torment. And so what we have here is a matter of fact. There is a resurrection. It is going to happen. And John gives a very specific picture to it. Chapter 5, verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. And at that point, there's no, it's already decided. My fate is sealed by my confession in this lifetime. In fact, it is sealed by these very words. Jesus is Lord, and I believe that God raised him from the dead, and I believe it from my heart. Because of that, I have the resurrection of life. Not because I did anything special, not because I did anything good, but as God opened my eyes, I received his grace, and I confessed. Until I confessed, I was locked out. And at the point of my confession, the door was opened and invited in. And by the way, that tells me then who's in charge of hell. Most of the time you'd ask somebody who's in charge of hell, and they'd say what? Satan. It's not true. Revelation tells us in the first chapter that Jesus has the keys to life and death. He has, he's the one in control. And the sad part about it is, is the, door, the door unlocks. Normally, that's what I like to think about a key. I want the key to unlock a door, but the key also does what? Locks the door. Which put me into a framework which became a reality for me on August 15th, 1976. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. Do you serve God or not? And a scripture that I didn't even understand at the time because I didn't put it into the context of all of that became reality for me, which was out of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Behold, now is the day of your salvation. I don't like, you're not going to find me preaching too many sermons over and over again on hell and this type of thing. I'm not the fire and brimstone, slap the pulpit preacher. Um, but I believe that there are times where we have to be reminded. Because hell lets us know how much God loves us because he has spared us from that. But in sparing us from that, all that the, that judgment means, all that it holds, all that it is, Jesus paid it all on my behalf. And if I don't understand a hell, I can't understand his salvation 
thoroughly or completely or embrace it as thoroughly as I need to. So when I confess Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, I'm saying, thank you, God, for opening the door and taking me out. I am not condemned. Don't worry about that. Uh, I am not condemned. No longer any condemnation because I'm in Christ Jesus. During a time of, 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 of preparing our hearts to receive communion, I just ask that uh, you consider all of this that we've shared and to realize how important it is to know that the, the God of all creation is your Savior. And I'm cautious. I don't always take that for granted. And, and so today, if while we're, we're sharing and passing the communion out and while the, the, the worship team is leading in the, the, the communion song, if there's anybody that would like to come forward for prayer today, maybe it's because you want to draw closer to the Lord, maybe it's because you have... Uh, you know, something that's clicked today that you want to um, just bring forward with prayer, I'm going to be up here, and if, you, if someone comes forward, I'll come and I'll pray with you. And, uh, during, and so we'll do that during the time of, of, of communion uh, while we're waiting. And if, uh, don't worry about if the song stops or something like that. We'll finish all our prayers first, and uh, uh, then we'll go ahead and share in communion. So if there's any need today, and that includes you know, if you have any personal need that you'd just like prayed for this morning, feel free to come forward during the time of communion.